Hi, everybody. I'm Kelly Harrell, and you're listening to What in the Weird. Finally, after how many weeks? I can't even tell you, except that I have been super busy. I've spent the last month in the second round of revisions for my upcoming book, Runic Book of Days, which will be released in September, though it is available now for pre-order on Amazon if you do a search for it there. And I'm really excited about it. The book is focused work with the half-month runes, with daily devotions for the year and runic initiations for each of the eight primary modern pagan sabbats. It's good stuff, and I can't wait for you to read it. Also, I've been developing a new class. It's a beginner class for the runes, which I hope to have more information on in the next two months. It's based in learning the Elder Futhark through direct relationship with it, which is just all kinds of cool. I'm pretty jazzed about getting that going, and it's in its beta production right now, and I'll update you on it as soon as it's ready. I've written a scathing blog post or two since the last time we spoke on the current state of modern shamanism and calls to action. You can find my blog at soulintentarts.com. And I was also featured on Christina Pratt's Why Shamanism Now when we did part four of a series focused on how we, humans, human behavior, is challenging the spirit world, particularly through racism. You can find that podcast at whyshamanismnow.com and all the other amazing things that Christina offers. The other, like, really big amazing thing that happened is I got a new rune set. You're going to have to wait a little bit to hear more about that. That's going to be my next podcast, and oh my god, they're just gorgeous. I can't wait to talk about them more, and I really will soon, I swear it. So, the weekly rune was published this morning. For those who are subscribed to Patreon, it came out yesterday, ad-free, and I do want to take a minute to thank my Patreon supporters most of you have followed the Weekly Rune since its inception in 2012, and it's been such a great journey watching it develop with you and talking about it with you. And thank you also to all the podcast listeners for your questions and comments. It's been great to meet you and do that Rune Talk with you. So let's get to it then. This week we move into the half-month Rune of Edwaz which is the rune of taking things deeper. So the rune exalting Ewas this week is Burkana, which if you've been paying attention to the weekly rune for the past month, Burkana was the half-month rune prior. So tying all of this up, this relationship between Ewas and Burkana, is Fehu, which implies a certain optimistic, if not abundantly beneficial outcome to this week. So if we put it all together, we end up with guidance to journey deeper, to achieve the healing we seek right now, with a reward that benefits more than just ourselves. That's pretty good stuff, right? So the thing that makes all of this operative is the half-month rune Ewas. And of course, there's a story there. This is the part where you get the popcorn. So, translating to horse, Ewas represents several things. Clearly, the horse was the most evident mode of transportation in ancient Norse civilization, making it an awfully valuable component of life. 
the thing is, you'd have to be pretty wealthy to have one. It's kind of a, a status symbol in and of itself. And the other significance about horses is that they were also noted as prime sacrificial possessions given to the gods and eaten during ritualistic honorings of the gods, which gives horses, again, a really profound spiritual relevance above their practical uses in everyday life. So, of course, the story deepens in that what makes the horse a general figure even more worth noting is Odin's ordeal on the Yggdrasil, during which he retrieved the runes for the consciousness of humanity. It's an experience that encapsulates the deeper meaning of Evwas. Keep in mind that ordeal means something specific in the Old Norse tradition. It's very much about the subjugation of the body so that the ego will let go and drop the filter to access deeper levels of consciousness. In other words, ordeal is initiating trance through massive pain for spiritual benefit. It's sacred pain, in other words. So this is what Odin does to gain access to the runes and bring them back to humanity. So just put a pin in that for a second. So the Yggdrasil is what we call the world tree. It's this towering support structure, kind of like a chakra system, that supports the nine worlds of the Old Norse cosmology. With that in mind, Yggdrasil breaks down to mean Yggdrasil, meaning it's a name, another name for Odin, meaning one who strikes awe, and Drasil, horse. So we have Odin's horse. That is what Yggdrasil literally translates to. We also know that Odin's horse was named Sleipnir. So, again, here's where the story part gets interesting. He was the horse of a god, of course. Sleipnir wasn't just any horse, so he had to be formidable in his own right. Sleipnir had eight legs, making him beyond the scope of a mere mortal observation of a horse. So the story of Sleipnir's inception is curious because he was the product of a deep deception. The war between the Aesir and Vanir was over, and everything was relatively peaceful, except that the Aesir have never been at peace with the, the giants. The, the Aesir are the gods. They consider themselves the civilized part of Old Norse mythology. And that civilized, more intellectualized functioning needed protection from the giants, which would have been the forces of nature. They were the most hated enemies of the Aesir. Imagine that the gods hate the forces of nature. Who would have thought? So they hired this big hulking guy to create or restore the wall around Asgard that had been damaged during the war with the Vanir. And the, the giant who made this was an unnamed Rhymethers, which means a frost giant. So if you've learned anything from the weekly rune, you should know that any time a giant comes along, big things are about to happen. This is where I would cue the angsty music, but I'm not that talented. So this frost giant agreed to build the wall in exchange for some very specific things. The key among them was Freya, who, if you remember, she is the Vanir half-giant goddess who became a hostage of the Aesir and is the one who best knew nature magic. 
he also asked for the sun and the moon. So not a lot, right? Freya, the sun and the moon, no big deal. The Aesir being the shifty lot that they were agreed to the exchange. They're known for that sort of thing. And the deal was if the giant finished the wall on his own, only with the help of one horse, in an agreed-upon short period of time, he could have Freya, the moon, and the sun. Should have been doable, right? One guy, one horse, no problem. Except, no way. Well, as luck would have it, this frost giant just happened to have a ridiculously unnaturally powerful horse named Svaldifar. Within two days, the giant had the wall mostly finished due to the work of his enormously crazy powerful stallion, which meant that the Aesir were standing on their heads. They had no intention of keeping this deal with him. He was a giant. They didn't want anything to do with giants. They just wanted the wall. So when they realized that he had kind of, sort of set them up to fail, they responded in kind. They had Loki, the trickster extraordinaire, deal with this whole mess. And apparently... Loki owed him one anyway, which, again, popcorn for another time. So Loki manages the situation by shape-shifting into an absolutely irresistible mare who lures the super studly horse away from his job at the wall. The two horses frolic in the woods, putting the wall behind schedule. The giant doesn't meet the deadline for the wall. The deal falls through, and Thor kills the giant because that's how things happen in the Old Norse tradition. It's not a very happy story. Meanwhile, back at the ranch a few months later, Loki, as the mayor, gives birth to, you guessed it, Sleipnir. The result of the mating of a god and the strongest stallion is Sleipnir, who can fly, he can swim, and he can cross long distances across land faster than any other horse in existence. I mean, this horse basically kicks the ass of all forces of nature, or might we say, all the giants, all the things that the Aesir want control of. So this is big thinky things. If you pull all of this back together, Yggdrasil means Odin's horse. In the ordeal of acquiring the runes, Odin rode the tree, the world tree, from which he hanged from for nine nights, injured, starving, and upside down on top of all of that. Sleipnir was Odin's actual horse, which means essentially he could journey into anything, through anything, to anywhere. Sleipnir was the act of defying the otherwise limiting elements of travel. He was soul flight, which if you're pulling this together the way I may am, means ecstatic travel, shamanic journeying. Whatever the means you use to allow an aspect of your soul to wander out into the other worlds to gain insight and bring it back to implement to some sort of helpful outcome. That's the definition of a shamanic, ecstatic soul flight. So this mythological act makes horses the animistic embodiment, or if you're into it, the collective animal guide, a totem, if you were, of the shamanic journey in the Old Norse tradition. Even better, the Old Norse culture had a word for this, the philia, or in some cases called the fetch. In their tradition, 
The horse was considered the philia of all of humanity. This would be, by my perspective, a more culturally accurate, correct definition of a totem. This idea of an animal or nature spirit that represents a collective, a tribe, a family, a family lineage, a region, and it brings a specific gift or ability to this group. It's not just my personal animal guide. We don't have anything like this perspective of what a totem is in modern Western culture. So in the Old Norse tradition, the horse was considered the philia of all humanity. There is a more personal component of philia, though maybe we can talk about that at a later date. So this is what Ewas represents. It embodies the spirit of being able to go more deeply into the spiritual layer of what's on your plate right now and to engage it in some way that enables you to bring back wisdom to be applied right now to the everyday so that you can live the change that you need. Sort of like Odin gaining access to the runes, then also bringing them back packaged in a way that humanity can now make sense of them in everyday life. That's a pretty big deal. You might even say it's an epic ordeal. That's it for this episode. You can download the Anchor app for Android or Apple and listen to What in the Weird there. If you're on Anchor, let me know what you think by hitting the call-in button. I would love to hear from you, and I'm really, really happy for all the people that have called in and sent me notes thus far. You can also download each episode from Google Play or iTunes, and feel free to contact me through my email, kelly at solentonarts.com. I am Kelly, and this has been What in the Weird.